This is The Instigators, presented by Seneca Resorts and Casinos. Nothing else comes close. We are going to overtime! Ah, yes, the last Sabres game that was played before this uh, premature pause, so to speak, did in fact go to overtime as Buffalo clawed out a point against the Pittsburgh Penguins to cap a five of six road trip with Marty Barana and Brian Duff. It's the holiday edition of instigators overtime marty are you ready for the big season i am so not ready and i know at the time we're recording this i'm not ready and at the time this will be published for people to see and listen to i will still not be ready i won't be ready on christmas eve i'll be scrambling until the very late afternoon hours and get it done then let me keep it simple for you then the focus of this particular podcast is the coach in rochester what do you think of first when I say the name Seth Appert? Great hair. I'm sorry, oh, Seth, but great hair. I mean, he's got the look. Uh, but I'll say this. It was a very interesting choice when Kevin Adams went with Seth Appert. And I think it was a really, really smart one. So I'm really liking what Seth and his staff has done in Rochester. But the first thing I think of is the hair. Serious but fun. Your answer, also Seth Appert. And when you're serious about the game, bet on Buffalo at the only sports books in Western New York. Seneca Resorts and Casinos betting counters are open daily, and self service betting kiosks are available 24 7 at all three locations, whether you visit Seneca Niagara or Allegheny or Buffalo Creek. The Sports Lounge features the latest lines and multiple screens so you never miss a play. The Sports Books at Seneca Resorts and Casinos where the love of the game meets the thrill of the win. Here's Amherst coach, Seth Appert. Seth, it's great to see you. Unfortunately, it's not at the rink at this particular moment. Uh, both the NHL and AHL coming to a, a little bit earlier pause than we would have anticipated and or wanted. Um, how do you assess everything that you've been through in the first few months now that we've hit another pause? Well, Duffer Marty, it's good to see you. Thanks for having me on. Um, you know, I think you just have to roll with it. It is what it is. That's the world we're in right now. Um, and it's frustrating at times, but, you know, I, we always try to tell our players, let's focus on things we can control. Um, and, you know, sometimes you got to uh, practice what you preach. And, for us, uh, you just want to control what you can control. We, we can't control some of the things that are going on. When it's time to practice and have games, uh, we want to be at our best. I think last year taught all of us that we have to adjust and how precious uh, the things that we love are. Uh, so I think we feel fortunate the fact that we've had, you know, 23 games this year with, with limited uh, interruption. Said, I don't want to compare COVID to the flu because that definitely is not what it is. But there, now that you know people are vaccinated and, and your team is vaccinated, um, you actually dealt with the flu inside the locker room, which was guys were really sick. So, um, how scary or worried were you and the team when guys started getting sick? But knowing it wasn't COVID, it was the flu, you still have to deal with it. It's crazy. I mean, who? who I had COVID, Webby had COVID, uh, some of our players did, and other staff uh, with minimal or no symptoms. Um, and then the flu bug comes into our room and it's just ravaging us. And yeah. we have guys playing uh, while throwing up in between periods. And 
um, and, and it's spreading quickly. And, and so certainly that was an impact uh, in the beginning of our trip. Um, and so, you know, it's just a reminder, right? That, that COVID COVID's the only thing we hear about, uh, but COVID's not the only thing out there because the flu bug, uh, pneumonia, mononucleosis, um, things like that are impacting our group probably even uh, greater than, than COVID is. So are you suggesting that your team did not in fact have the Charlotte flu, which has statistically <laughs> been a problem for the team, but you were actually sick while in Charlotte? I think that game, uh, whatever night that was, that first game in Charlotte, uh, we had every virus known to mankind. Um, I mean, whatever is existed in, in, the, in the human race, we had that night. Now, was that your first trip back? Uh, yes. Yeah, that was our first trip back. And it's funny, like, as a coaching staff, and I talked to Peck, I talked to Michael Peck about this when, when, uh, when we were out. I said, I think we have a pretty sizable number coming at us sooner than later. Uh, just we'd been, I think, out competing and outscoring our some of our defensive deficiencies. We were starting to become a little sloppy on our breakouts and our line rushes against. And either either goaltending or our competitive will of our group, we have a really competitive group. Um, or our ability to score goals because our will to get to the inside was probably masking some of that. And, and that night, everything got exposed. Well, the reason I was asking if it was your first trip back, number one, did your coaching staff give you a hard time that uh, you return and you guys lose 11-1? And two, you're a former goalie. Uh, how, did you, how are you feeling while on the bench and all of a sudden it's 4-1 with five minutes left in the second? And you go back after 40 minutes and it's 10-1. Like, what's your feeling towards, like, actually feeling bad about the, the goalie that's in the net right now? Yeah, well, two things. One is I almost assigned myself to Cincinnati that night. <laughs> um, you know, I, 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 that, that, that was a conversation I had to have with Kevin. Um, and then two was that, um, you know, Matt Robson played two really good games for us. And, and he did a really good job. And that, that loss was not on Matt Robson. The score is, is partly on him because he had a tough night, but not the loss. We didn't play good enough. Uh, but it was interesting. It's four to one, with five minutes to go. We missed two wide open nets, like wide open nets. That would have put it to four to two on that power play. Well, they hit their guy out of the penalty box for a breakaway after that. It goes five one. And at that point, I, I was trying to not put Hauser in because Michael Hauser was battling the flu. Yeah. And so I was trying to not have to play him that night. And, and then I went to six to one. I looked at the clock and I was like three and a half minutes to go. And I just said to myself, okay, we'll just get through this period. We'll put Hauser in for the third. It's, it's not Matt's night. He's done a really good job for us. And then it just went and went and went and it just, you know, and I, I grabbed Matt Robson at the end of the second and I, and I apologize to him because uh, I never want to be a coach that's, that's thought of as embarrassing his players. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and like I said, he played two really good games for us and, and I, I didn't like the feel of that, but it just was too late at that point. Well, yeah. what did he say to you when you grabbed him at the end of two? He understood. He, he knew where I was coming from. Kevin Adams and I talked after the game. Kevin was like, I knew what you were thinking. Let's just get through the second period and, and then we'll go yeah. from there. And Hauser's sick. And um, it was just a perfect storm of, of uh, events 
Uh, Charlotte was on. We were not. Robson had a little bit of a tough night. The flu bug, all of that uh, led to just a, an abysmal score. And Marty, you want to read? You want to reenact? You want to reenact my reactions? That's exactly what I was going to say. So I can tell you, we had a Sabres game that night. So Duffer, while the Sabres are going, he always has his computer either open on the Rochester Americans game, the Buffalo Bandits game, the the Rochester Nighthawks game. Like he has something else going on. And he's like, oh my God, they got scored again. Oh no, it's a replay. It's just a replay. Oh no, it's not a replay. It's 6-1. No. Oh, is this a replay or is this not a replay? Oh, it's seven. Like, because in the AHL, like he's trying to do it without the sound. So he doesn't know what's happening and they just show replays, whatever. So he didn't know if it was replays or not. And uh, so I kept looking over at him like, okay, well, I'm trying to see what's going on here in our game. But uh, yeah, he was, uh, there there was some defeat, a a little bit of defeat in, uh, in Duffer that night. It was, it was, I didn't expect 11, obviously. I thought, I, I, I did think we, had a, I think we had a number coming at us and it was a good opportunity that we took to talk to the guys about, you know, when we want to be a great team and you want to be great individual players and, and move on to the NHL and be full-time NHL players. Like we, we, we can't just rely on winning five, four, four to three every night. We got to tighten up defensively. Yeah. And then we talked to, we showed them some analytics on the two areas that we were focused on, on breakouts, efficiency, and on line rush against situations to show the guys that it, we're not reacting to one bad game. Uh, this, this was a 10-game stretch, even though we had a five-game winning streak in there, that our, our defensive numbers were starting to slip and we needed to correct them. And credit to our players, I thought the next three games, we were really good defensively and, and had some of our best defensive numbers um, from an analytic perspective in those three nights. It's really great to hear you say that just in the context of, you know, what you can actually take from every loss and especially ones as pronounced as that. And I was quick to tell Marty, this was, um, the last time the Amherst had such a lopsided loss. They went to the Calder cup finals in 1984. So, and I think Marty was in that. Well, I was worried because he threw that question at me. He said, Marty, do you know when the last time that the Amherst lost at that, with that big of a score difference? And I'm thinking like, oh my goodness, did I have that bad a night in 1998 or whatnot? Like, that's the first thing I thought. And and, and also anybody that remembered the Oilers' great era um, of the 80s, they, they had a terrible loss in Hartford one night, maybe to the tune of 11-0 or 11-1 as well. So, and of course, proceeded to, to do what they do. The point is, is you take it and you move on. Seth, it was really impressive to see the comeback wins on, on Friday or Saturday and Sunday, Friday yeah. and Sunday. Saturday, I Sunday. can't remember. Um, and, and within those games, just the different players that step up. And, and that leads us into what we really want to dive into, which is obviously prospect development. You've had Artur Ritzelainen come back and join the mix lately. Um, he hasn't got a goal in regulation time, terrific shootout performance. Um, and you've, your utilization of him has been interesting to me. Can, can you take us through, you know, how you line him up on a nightly basis, whether it's at center or on the wing and, and how collectively the, the organization is looking at, at him specifically right now? Well, I think R2, R2 had a almost idyllic rookie season in, in North America last year. He was on a roll in Finland. He came to us. Anything we challenged him with, he took and ran with immediately, played great for us, had a point of game, goes to the NHL, plays well in the NHL. As you guys know, that that's not 
how it's going to go all the time. And so now this year he hit some adversity, hit a wall a little bit, whatever that is. Um, and so they sent him back to us for more ice time. I think number one is it's, it's when you're not playing much, whether many minutes or many games, you're, you're not in game shape mentally or physically. You can do all the extra work and he's a really hard worker off the ice and all those things, but mentally and physically, you're just not quite there as if you would be, if you're playing three, four night games a week. So that that's going to take him a little bit of time to get back to that. And I think he's starting to get there. I thought the last two games, we saw that from him um, from a utilization standpoint, you know, what long-term in the NHL, he might look more like a winger um, just because of the size and, and things of that nature. So we want to make sure, and we did this with him last year as well. We want to make sure that he has the ability to play both so that he's competing for 12 spots, not just a couple spots. The, the first couple line centers, Middlestat and Thompson and Cousins, like those are, those are spots that are pretty strong right now, right? So if you only can play center, there's not many spots on the Sabres you're battling for. If you can play left wing, right wing, and center, there's, there's 13 spots you're battling for. So um, we moved them back to center more for to get his game reignited, um, to, to try to help him back to his natural position, to get his feet moving more, to play it up, to get in the battle more like that. I think that's helped Tage Thompson. Like playing center, you have nowhere to hide. You, you can't just hang out on the wing. You can't just hang out in the D zone coverage. You have to be engaged physically. You have to be moving your feet. And, and I thought that uh, the Lehigh game and the Hershey game, R2 was very good for us. Okay, how about Peyton Krabs now? Um, Alex Tuck was supposed to make his return this week. The games in Buffalo were postponed, so he didn't. But the guy that has been playing all along in the, that trade from uh, Vegas has been Peyton Krabs. He's almost at a point of game with uh, you guys right now. And if I remember, uh, you know, at the start of his Rochester career, let's just say, like, it didn't really click right away. Obviously, it's normal. You travel back and... You know, you're with a new team, but almost a point a game now with the Amherst. What has he shown, uh, especially of late? Well, the last two games in Lehigh and in Hershey, he was dominant. And, and I think that's funny, you know, I, Jeff Blaschel is a good friend of mine and he and I talk and, and he, you know, you know, as a coach, you always want your players to be better. So you're always trying to push Paterka and Krebs and Quinn and Samuelson and Pekalukin and these guys to, to keep growing and they have to. You know, and Blast reminded me, he's coached the American League. He's like, what Krebs, Paterka, and Quinn are doing is not normal in the American Hockey League at 19 yeah. years old. Um, most of the leading scorers in the league are, are the guys like Andrew Podorowski and C.J. Smith and guys that are 25 to 30 that have, have put time in. And so, you know, that I think it's good to remind myself of that, that this, they're, they're all three playing at a very elite level compared to what most 19 and 20 year olds can do in the American hockey league. The last two games, I think Krebsy, I think sometimes we underestimate the, the massive uplift in his life that this was right. He was thinking he's going to, he's a first rounder. He thinks he's going to play for Vegas for the rest of his life. Um, he's in Vegas playing in the NHL. He's a Western Canadian kid. So he's close to home. He's close to his family. They're playing in Alberta, like all of those things. And then you come all the way out here new organization you've been traded you get sent to the american league that that's a lot he's 20 years old and i think what we're seeing now is him gaining more confidence and comfort with himself and with his teammates 
um, because that just takes time. But also with our coaching staff, uh, he and I can't have, I can't have unbelievably honest, direct conversations with him the first two or three weeks. We don't even know each other yet. And we have to earn that trust with each other so that we can open up to each other about things that he needs to get better at or things he needs to tell me. And I think we've seen that more from him in the last few weeks. And Lehigh Valley, he played 27 and a half minutes. I mean, think of that number as a 20-year-old forward. And he helped us come back and win that game. And then the next night, I was curious to see, I didn't intend that many minutes. I knew his minutes were high that night, but, but that was a little probably too high. Um, I was curious to see what he'd have in the tank the next night, because now we're in a four and six all on the road. And he was dominant in that Hershey game. Um, so I, I thought that was really great to see that heading into break. I thought he had two of his best games in Amherst Jersey. Well, he had two goals in the third period and your comeback was quite pronounced in the third period after being down three, one, I'm just wondering whether you were surprised after a good first eh, second that you had all that in the third period to be able to not only win, but win in regulation time. You know, we thought we did. Um, we were dominant in the first. We probably should have been up by more than one. We were sloppy in the second. And what we tried to get our guys to understand is our first period, we played north. We played direct. We played predictable. And it's it, we're a young team. And sometimes structure and predictability to young players, they hear that and they cringe because they think you're, you're trying to take creativity away from them. And what we try to get our guys to understand is that structure and predictability of the other four guys away from the puck leads to more creativity, leads to more speed because you have an understanding of where the other four guys on the ice are going to be, which allows you to be as creative as you want to be on how you utilize those four guys. Um, in the first period, we were incredibly structured and predictable and North driven. In the second period, we were, we tried to force pucks and we turned pucks over the third period. We got back to it. The, the one thing I, I was worried about in the third is they, they had a goal early in the third that was probably one Hauser would want back. And don't say that, that. Don't ever say that, Seth. Every goal we want back as goalies. You know that. I agree. This one may be more than most. Okay. Uh, <laughs> if you, if, Marty, if you look at Hauser's reaction, it was pretty clear. <laughs> you know, this one more than most. And, and, and so you're fighting back. You're on the road, four and six. You feel good going into the third. And then you give up that one to start the third. And then you're like, wow, this is a tough road back now. It's a good team. Hershey's got a good hockey team. So, um, and then the rest of the game, we were fantastic. Uh, and it was certainly Krebs and Paterka uh, were a massive, massive piece of that because they were very, very dominant players that night. Okay, so you talk about these guys, these young prospects, and uh, Kevin Adams spoke to the media this week, and he was asked about, you know, guys going to get called up. How does that work? Uko Pekolukunen got called up necessity and played extremely well. It was a good surprise. Um, you seem to be able to project in the future a little bit as a coach. You have to do that. You said we had a big number coming and you kind of sensed it because of the way you're playing. What do you see for some of the, the, the younger prospect, the Paterka, Krebs, Quinn, if and when he comes back from mono, um, do you anticipate you may lose them? for a few games here and there down the stretch. So they get some NHL experience at some point. I would assume that's the case. Obviously those, those decisions are made above my pay grade and, and uh, certainly with, with input from us and Donnie and I, and Kevin and Jason Carmanos, and we, we talk regularly. It's a, it, we have really good communication um, 
from, from Kevin right through to our development staff, it, it's been impressive to be a part of. Uh, it's been fun to be a part of. Uh, how many conversations that I get to be a part of as an American League coach, it, it's been really, really positive to see the communication lines. So I think they will. I think they're earning that, but I also don't think it's, it's a rush. Uh, our goal, my goal, like we have a lot of players on our team that can play in the NHL and that have played in the NHL. I don't want our players, especially our young prospects to just play in the NHL. There's, there's, I want our, I want Paterka and Quinn and Krebs and Samuelson to be impactful in the NHL and to be ready to help the Buffalo Sabres win and move closer to being a playoff team. Just playing in the NHL. A lot of players can play in the NHL. Can we, can we move the needle of the franchise because they're so good in whatever they need to be great at. Are they an elite penalty killer? Or can they contribute offensively? Can Sammy be a top four shutdown defenseman that breaks the puck out? Like, can can Uko be a starting goalie? Um, you know, though we're trying to get our players to be impactful NHLers, not just guys that can play. So those are the things we're fighting for every day with our habits and the things that we talked about on video with, with that I watch with that. Michael Pecka watches that Mike Weber watches with the guys. And I think they will earn games at some point this year. Uh, but I think that, and we've seen this with other organizations, Tampa Bay, the most prominent recently, these kids that grow up together and go through adversity and failure together, and then find a way to win together, really develop some bonds that are incredibly impactful as they move on to the NHL. Yes, and what a difference it often is for two and three years developed in Syracuse for Tampa when they walk into a situation where they're unlikely to fail, right? Because they are literally put in a good position based on the talent level and structure that they have at the big club. So you can see how it all works in harmony together. Um, since we mentioned illness and everything before, uh, how's Jack Quinn doing? You know, he's doing a lot better. Um, you know, talking to him two weeks ago, I mean, it was, you could barely have a conversation with him. And then I, during our road trip, I'd text with him every other day or so, um, just checking in. He went home. When we went on the road, we, we sent him home. Um, he's still a young, young man. And sometimes when you're sick, there's nothing better than being home and letting mom take care of you. So, um, so we thought that was the right thing for his recovery. And, and, uh, and I think it has been. And then I, yesterday, I drove back to Michigan to be with my family for the holidays after we were postponed. And, and I called him, uh, we had about a 30 minute conversation and that was the first time he seemed to be more himself again. It was engaging conversation like it normally is with him. We talked about our games over the trip. We talked about NHL games, talked about the world juniors. Um, he seemed to be in good spirits. He's feeling better. He's putting more weight back on. He's getting some light exercise in now. Uh, so I thought I took that as a real positive sign that he should be back with us post Christmas. Now, I don't think back for games at that point, but back with us and then starting the process to, to enter back into competition. Uh, Seth, um, I want to ask about you personally. So you talked about um, Syracuse and Tampa, right? So, I mean, obviously there was a progression from John Cooper to get to the NHL. You talk about Jeff Blaschel. There was a progression for Jeff Blaschel to get where he is. Uh, even Mike Sullivan in Pittsburgh, he was, he went, he was in the NHL, went back to the AHL and progressed to the NHL again with Pittsburgh. Uh, what, this is only your second year coaching pro hockey, but what is your roadmap, your, your, 
your you know next five years what is that trying to see what that looks like for you and where you want to be well i'll, I'll say this uh, Marty, it's, I, it's a good question i've never had a five-year plan i don't believe in them um i've I didn't believe in it when I was at Denver and I was at Denver as a young assistant and we were winning national championships and people tell me, you got a job jump. You got to stay hot. You got to, you got to capitalize <laughs> on this. And I, I just, I didn't believe in it. I loved working for George Gwazdecki. I loved working at Denver. I went to RPI. We were building some really good things. I probably should have left RPI earlier um, because you probably can't win there long-term. Um, but, but you learn those lessons. And, and I felt the same way at USA. I was not looking to leave USA hockey. I loved working at the national program. I left because I was intrigued at working for Kevin Adams because he's such a great person and a great human. And I was intrigued at the challenge of trying to help this organization grow. Um, so do I want to be a head coach in the NHL? Absolutely. 100%. And good friends of mine like John Cooper and Jeff Blaschel have shown and paved that way. Um, but I don't think about that. I don't fixate on that. Uh, my goal every day is to be a great coach for the Rochester Americans, to be the best coach possible for our prospects, for our players. We want to create an environment in a culture in Rochester where our players can thrive, uh, where they can be themselves, but that they're challenged that they're competitively challenged, that they're mentally challenged, but that they're treated the right way as humans so that they can thrive and be the best versions of themselves. I believe that if we do that, long-term that wins out. It wins out for our players. It'll end up winning out for me and whatever that means. Um, so I don't really think about anything other than that. Seth, if I could, I'm going to take a few names off your roster here and encourage you to give me a word or a really short sentence on all of them. Um, Starting with the guy I just asked you about, Jack Quinn. How would, like, whether it's his game, his, per like, give me something about Jack Quinn that, that you've seen this year. Uh, competitive as hell, fun, and curious. Now, this surprised me a little. J.J. Paterka actually leads the team in shots despite his low goal total. But all that aside, what do you think of Paterka? Silly, explosive. <laughs> and dynamic sean malone warrior like absolute warrior i did not know that i knew we were getting a good player i coached against him i know him we talked about him in the summer i didn't understand what an absolute warrior he is and how hard he plays for his teammates i've really enjoyed watching his impact this season michael mersh yeah. Uh, one of the best leaders I've ever had the privilege of coaching. He is his daily habits. If he was a, if he could, if he was a better skater, he'd be making $8 million a year with his habits, his competitiveness and his detail. Wow. That's a great compliment and probably something he hates to hear all at the same time. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it is what it is. Uh, he leads Especially the, the 8 million comment, right? <laughs> <laughs> like he, he leads the, the second best league in the world in goals right now. Right. Yeah. Marty, you want to throw a name or two in? Uh, okay. Well, I, I was going to say Lucan and, and I still can say, okay, UPL let, let, let's, let's go with him. A worker like that. Okay. That's the, that to me is why he's having success. He believes in his work ethic. He's earned his confidence. His confidence, not based on his ability anymore. Maybe it was earlier. It's now based on his daily work ethic. And, and you're starting to see that in the NHL. 
I guess I'll follow up with that. So I don't know if you've seen a lot of his games in Buffalo, but did he look different to you in Buffalo than how he looked in Rochester for most of the season? Um, no, he looked in Buffalo like he looked at his best with us over the last two years. Okay. So his numbers, people always say, well, he didn't play good in the American League. I, I think that's a, it's a, it's too easy to say that just looking at his numbers. He was outstanding for us last year before he got COVID. And then he stumbled coming out of COVID. Well, that's, that's understandable. Yeah. And, and the sample size was too small for the numbers to repair. This year, his start was sloppy. And there's, it was three games, but, but then the next eight or nine games, he was outstanding for us. So, and again, I think if he had 30 games with us, his numbers would look good in, in a 12 game sample size. When you have two or three real stinkers, the numbers aren't going to look that way. So he looks like in the NHL, like he looks at his best with us. Cause I said to Duffer, like I, I Benoit Allaire, who is my goalie coach with the Rangers, but I had him when I was a, a teenager, I went to his camps. He always said there was three pillars of goaltending. There was a physical pillar, a technical pillar and a mental pillar. And you have to try to push those pillars up as much. And I thought that when I looked at UPL, I said, I think physically and technically, he, he's, at, he, he's, he's pushing to the top, right? He's a very technical goaltender. And physically, he's, he's athletic. He moves well and all that. The mental pillar was where I think there was some inconsistency in his game. And I felt like here in Buffalo, even down to nothing, and giving up a, a bad rebound goal. He overcame that very, very uh, bravely, very, very well. So that's the one thing I thought I saw a change in him, but I didn't see him as well as you did, obviously, in Rochester. Well, he overcame adversity this year. He, number one, had a chance to potentially win the job in Buffalo at camp, and he didn't. Then he came down with us, and he failed and struggled mightily. And I believe that your confidence comes through your work ethic and overcoming adversity, not through your talent. And, and so he overcame a horrible start and he started to play great. He started to become that dominant goalie that we want, but he's also worked on his mental game. Uh, he and I have talked at great length about this. Um, and he has put time uh, into the mental part of the game as well as, as the other areas. Did Aaron Dell's windmill glove save in <laughs> overtime against Lehigh Valley remind you of a young Seth Appert at any point? Well, I would have tried it. It would have went in. Um, it's funny. The next day I show, we always have a, before the next game, we, I, I do a meeting called the identity meeting. It's the last thing they see before they go out. And it's, it's clips of us playing to our identity, doing what we do at our best from the night before. I put that save on there and I, and I froze it and circled uh, uh, with the telestrator that the glove, you know, holding it up like Patrick Wildwood with the Statue of Liberty. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I told the guys that back in the day, the position was artistry and now it's science, but that was art. That was an art. How about hey. JJ Paterka's reaction right. to go and, yes. and tap his back and hug him? Like, thank you. Thank you. Well, J it's funny. Aaron Dell has been a quiet a really good leader for us. He, at the beginning of the year when he was with us, he would take, he requested Quinn, Paterka, and Weisbach to be the shooters for goalie sessions. He would talk to them about where they should think about shooting, what NHL players would do. I mean, think of the guys he's played with, Pavelski yeah. and Thornton and Marlowe and Burns, you know, like 
Carlson, like some of, some of the elite of the elite of this generation. And yeah. he's sharing that stuff with Paterka. He and JJ Paterka have formed a really quick, close bond. Um, and so we talked about that that day too. And I said, look at JJ. He's happy to have his big brother back, you know, giving him a hug. <laughs> wow. There, there was so much of interest in that game. Um, first of all, Cal O'Reilly was furious at the penalty call. So he was itching to come out of the box. You didn't score on the power play. And of course he ends up with the puck on his stick, but he chooses to set up the guy for the break for the big blast. And then you went with Rutzelainen and Paterka in the shootout. Um, is the shootout of, and they were both, amazing by the way um is that a feel thing for you or do you is it in any ways organizational where you're putting guys you know from the sabers future on display in the high pressure moments yeah it's both uh it's a little bit of analytics you look at their career numbers um it's a little bit of a feel and and we we try to put those situations in practice sometimes if we're playing a small ice game or and it's tied and we don't want to continue with the, the overtime. I'll be like, okay, best of three shootout. Let's go, you know, just to see how they handle it. Um, and then it is organizationally because, you know, we need to have Quinn and Krebs and Samuelson and Paterka and Rootsalainen. These young kids have to be in big situations. Like Peyton Krebs and Arjun Rootsalainen and Matias Samuelson were on the ice against Hershey with the, bull, with the goalie pole. Uh, they need to have those situations so they can – succeed in them and fail in them and then grow from those situations um obviously that night uh both r2 and jj succeeded very well what's your plan when you go to a shootout with the order of the shooters just because i'm saying the other day buffalo is in minnesota and arguably the best shootout player with the sabers is stage thompson and he got to go third and we talked in the post game and i said it's, it's a good guy to have third when the shootouts died, but if you don't get to your third shooter, your best guy doesn't shoot, right? So do you put your best guy first, second best guy second, or how do you approach the shootout? Best guy first. Best guy first. You um, want to so score normally, first. Normally that's Jack Quinn. Um, it was going to be JJ, but JJ had played like 23 minutes that game and had been out there for the end of overtime. And I looked at his face and he looked exhausted. <laughs> And I said, JJ, you're going. And I, and I looked at him again. I said, do you need me to go somebody else first? And he goes, no, I'm good. And then he put one foot over the board. He looked back. He goes, ops, with that German accent, ops. Uh, yeah, somebody else first. Give me a rest. <laughs> wow. Did, did, that, we did that hurt you first? Yeah, did that ever pay off? He froze the net miner so bad he had half the net to put it into. That was so impressive. And, and you know, we see that. That's the exciting part of all these guys. The, their raw skill is, is absolutely incredible. Marty, do you have any spontaneous diss or dats for Coach Appert? Maybe holiday-themed at all? Um, yes, best uh, Christmas present that was hockey-related. Um, oh, it's it's not a diss or dat. I want to – it's a quick fire. Well, first of all, I'll go to the the gag gifts our team had um, this year. The Michael Mersh has perfected the art of scoring on either one knee or two knees down. Yeah. Yes. We think he's revolutionizing the game. And so they got him uh, a little mini stick with a crowbar attached to it. Um, so Seth, the other game. He took it to a whole new level. He did it in the neutral zone. <laughs> he made a play around a defender on the on his knee again. I'm like, what is he doing? Uh, <laughs> he's changing the game. Um, 
best Christmas present for me as a kid always would have been getting a, a new Christian goalie stick. Uh, uh, that, I was going to ask you about, yeah, I was going to ask you about brands, but so you're a Minnesota guy, right? Yeah. So Christian USA was huge. Okay. This or that to have the curved Andy Moog paddle or the straight paddle, which one did you have? Curve, the Curtis curve. Oh, that is that was awful. Just it's and terrible. the people that don't I know, agree. It's, it's terrible. <laughs> but it's it's you grew up in Minnesota, like in my uncle was in Warroad, my cousins were up there. So so Warroad is a is a really unique, special place. Um, it's it's an incredible hockey town. And so I got to be up there. I I've played games up there, and you just you know, when you're from Minnesota in that era, you're gonna use Christian for sure. Yeah. Okay, well, what about, I know it's not Minnesota, but it's a U.S. company, Michigan, uh, Vaughn or Bauer, CCM Co., whatever. So did you have Vaughn or did you have the rest of the stuff? Well, until about grade 11, I had whatever the Cottage Grove, Minnesota equipment shack would give me. <laughs> um, and, then, and then my dad and I would be putting leather, you know, or tar over the holes in the pads. Yeah. Um, but then when I could get my own, I think, in, I think in grade 11 or grade 10, I was Vaughn and then I was Vaughn through college. Yeah. See, I didn't even know, but I just know you, uh, Midwest guys so well, you're just a Vaughn, uh, you know, enterprise over there. Well, so. And now one of my, one of my favorite goalies I've ever coached, uh, Adam Burkle, who was the MVP of the frozen four at Denver, uh, he's a Vaughn rep now, so I definitely have to be Vaughn. Yeah. Like so, Ryan Miller wore Vaughn at Michigan State, and when he first started in, in Rochester, whatever, and then he switched over to uh, Reebok and CCM, but it, the, all you goalies out that way all wear Vaughn, just like the French guys in Quebec all were Coho and CCM. That's just right. the way it was, right? We just had our, uh, our own brand. Um, and last for me, this or that, um, to score a goal or not to try to score a goal? If you had the puck on your stick, you're up a goal in the goalie's pool. Do you take the shot or do you just try to get the win? I fancied myself as, a, as an offensive player, so I was going for it. There's no <laughs> doubt about it. I Probably with two goals, I'd go for it more. But uh, Bob Daniels, who's still the head coach at Ferris State, can, can attest to uh, I was very good at turning the puck over because I thought I could play the puck well. Ooh, speaking of empty netters, how has your coaching philosophy changed as far as how early to pull the goalie? This on the heels of Dean Evison doing it this week with just under 10 minutes to go in the third Nine down by half. three. Yeah. I think uh, Rand Pecknold, who's one of the best coaches in college hockey, uh, Quinnipiac, will tell you that, that I was doing that 15 years ago. And his, he's told me, he's laughed. He's like, on his pre-scout sheet, ever since the first year I was at RPI, we pulled with 12 minutes to go, down four it was a four on four situation. So that put us onto the power play, but they couldn't ice it. Um, so ever since then, every time we coached against each other, he'd have in the pre-scout sheet, he will pull the goalie at any time. <laughs> so so, so you always, were the first one. I, I don't want to say I'm the first one, but I've always been willing uh, to pull the goalie early. Uh, and in Charlotte in night two, when we played real well and we're down three to two, uh, I regretted not pulling them with like 323 left because it was an ozone face-off. There's no better time to pull the goalie than on a face-off because there's some structure and, and people are fresh. After that, it's chaotic. And you're trying sometimes you're trying to get the goalie out, but other guys might be changing at the same time. And it, it can be a lot more messy. 
And, a lot of people prob- credit a former goalie, Patrick Roth, for doing the early goalie pool with Colorado in the playoffs years ago. But we have to correct history and say, no, it was a former goalie, set Abbott, at RPI that used to pull his goalie 12 minutes before the end of the game. So I like well, I was used to getting pulled for poor play. <laughs> so it just became natural to me. It was also that uh, Charlotte regret you speak of, probably not Michael Mercer's finest moment, right? Uh, probably not. Yeah. Uh, probably a little bit not. of an own goal in the empty net. Yeah. That's not where we want Mersh to have the puck. Like, no, that's actually very true. <laughs> I don't even know how we navigated. Like We have all these talented players on the ice who are great at bringing the puck up the ice. And I'm like, why are we giving it to Mersh at behind our own goal line right now? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Some things you can't control. Hey, last one for me from the goalie standpoint. Did you have a goalie that you loved his gear head to toe when you, when you think back? Oh, that's a good question. Um, You know, I, I don't know if I say, I can't, I don't know if I can answer gear. Um, I would say mask for me, Murray Bannerman. Oh, Oh, nice. Yeah. Murray Bannerman. Um, I hated the Blackhawks. I was a North Stars fan growing up. And so they'd meet in, in the Norris division playoffs all the time. Uh, but, but I thought Murray Bannerman's mask uh, was, was outstanding. And who was the goalie you looked up to? You know, it's funny for me. And it's the reason I probably started playing goalie was John Casey. Um, okay. yeah. So John Casey was from a small town in Northern Minnesota, Grand Rapids. And he came down, I was six and I already just watched the Olympics fell in love with the, the 80 miracle team. And was already playing hockey, but but was starting to now fall in love with it. And then John Casey came down with small town Grand Rapids, Minnesota, and beat all the city teams and was just an absolute stud that whole tournament. And I remember thinking, that looks really fun, what he's doing. Um, so then he went to North Dakota, then he played for the North Stars. So I was able to kind of follow his career. And so certainly John Casey was, was probably the guy that I, I liked the most. I was just asked a question yesterday for me. And I, I remember going to see the Hartford Whalers in Quebec City, play the Nordiques and watching big Mike Litt in warm-up and just be mesmerized by, he would bend at the waist and the yeah. crossbar would hit him in the bottom of the back. Like he was so big, right? When I was that age, I could fit under the crossbar in the yeah. net. And I was like, one day I'll be as big as Mike Leot and I'll be able to cover the net. But uh, he was the guy for me that I used to watch as a young kid and be like, oh, he was such a good goalie. Yeah. And, and while he didn't have the artistic impression on the mask, his mask was certainly legendary with and the cage. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And the way the cage was weird. And um, yeah, it was. Uh, and, and I even even I still remember his brown pads and the way he used to roll his skate over to make saves like these are the, the images that you keep in your mind. Okay, we've exhausted your time. Yeah, uh, it's probably past Christmas now by the time this airs in its completion. Um, but I, I, I'm guessing if, if I was to ask you to say one thing about one player that we didn't talk about, you'd probably end this call if we didn't and be disappointed you didn't say something about Casey Fitzgerald. I was going to bring it up. Uh, you know, we're, we're proud of all of our guys when they get called up. Um, but, you know, there's, there's, there's certain guys are they're destined. They're going to play in the NHL. They're high picks. They're going there. Our job is to help them be elite NHL players. Casey Fitzgerald, Brett Murray, two years ago when, when our staff got hired, were not destined to play in the National Hockey League. And the work that those guys have put in, how hard Casey Fitzgerald's worked from being a healthy scratch for most of his first year, or playing forward, to becoming a top-pairing defenseman in the American League, to earning that call-up, that night we were in Lehigh Valley 
we had a game the next night and we as a coaching staff were like, we're not going to dinner. We're not going to kind of half watch the game. We brought the projector back to our, my room. We put it on a big wall. So we had a big screen. We ordered pizza in the whole coaching staff uh, watched it because we were so excited for Casey. Uh, what a great warrior and teammate and competitor he is. And uh, to watch him play that well, I mean, five hits, two blocks, a fight, an assist. I mean, like, what what a great first NHL game for him. Yeah, with Hard mom and dad sick. in the audience, too. Oh, and, yeah. uh, they were pretty proud, so that was great. That was outstanding. <laughs> yeah, Hard to beat stories like that. Perfect way to end. Happy holidays, Seth. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, guys. Happy holidays. He's a beauty of a storyteller, and we appreciate the insight from Seth. Uh, it, it's impossible, isn't it, Marty, to, to not appreciate some of the finer details when it comes to behind the scenes and culture and buy-in collectively. Stuff that all sounds cliche, but Seth brings to the table. Now, I'll be honest with you, having pizza, watching a hockey game on the big monitor on the wall of the hotel room, um, that, that looks great to me. I wish I'd got the invite, but maybe uh, one of those days I can, uh, you and I can both be in those rooms. <laughs> and I think it's fair to say that since you, you know, defaulted back to that story first, I think Fitzgerald himself is a wonderful, surprising story that this early in the year, he got his first NHL game. And that leads us down the path of our weekly three stars here on Instigators yeah. Overtime. I was hoping to do it more of a surprising three stars. You on board for that? I'm on board. I pick more of my normal three stars, but they have a surprising factor to it. So, okay. um, so I like it. All right. Dive in for us at number three. Okay. Do you want me to go three, two, one? I do. Always. Okay. I'll go three, two, one. My number third star um, is Victor Hedman. And not a lot of people have talked about Victor Hedman. But you know what? Victor Hedman leads the defense in scoring this year. There's Kill McCarr, but he's not at 31 points like Victor Hedman. Uh, there's Adam Fox. Well, he's tied with Victor Hedman, but Hedman has more goals. So with all that offensive defense that we're seeing in the NHL and the young players especially, Victor Hedman is still at the top at this holiday break. So he's my third star. Second star, Steven Stamkos. It is amazing to me that Stamkos has got 35 points in 29 games. He's sixth in scoring at the NHL holiday break right now. Uh, and one of the biggest reasons why the Tampa Bay Lightning are where they are. No Kucherov, no point. Uh, Stamkos has been on fire. And as I've done pretty regularly on this podcast stuffer, I group my three stars in one team. So my first star is the Tampa Bay Lightning, who before the holiday break beat Vegas in Vegas after coming back from behind. They were down 3-1. They won 4-3. They're doing it without their best players. And early in October, well, early, late in October, the Tampa Bay Lightning visited the Buffalo Sabres. And at that moment, Buffalo won 5-1. And Tampa slipped to 2-3-1. and well, right now, they are the best team in the NHL. I, I, you know, they had a bad start, but they recovered. So they are my number one star. Surprising. Yeah. And, number one and star. well, surprising, according to Steven Stamkos, he recently said, you know, we're kind of sneaking up on teams here. We're just going yeah. about, we're, we're, what did you say? Munching away points? And, uh, <laughs> munching away points. <laughs> and obviously, uh, both teams in that final game before the break had some COVID concerns, yet they soldiered on. And we'll see whether Tampa and Vegas meet again when this is all said and done, whenever this Stanley Cup playoff season comes to an end. All right, mine are more surprising 
based on season expectations going yeah. in. Um, the problem, Marty, is three is clearly not a long enough list. Yes. There are some terrific surprising stories this year. I, I will say this. It's impossible for me not to mention Nazem Kadri. Oh. Honestly, like, okay, he was a high draft pick. Okay, he's had a nice career. Okay, there are some people that are always expecting more. No one, <laughs> never in the history of the game has thought of Nazem Kadri as a top five scorer in today's high-flying, young man's driven speed NHL. And yet, through all the stuff Colorado's had to deal with this year, significant injury loss, COVID concerns, pressure as a team that underperformed in the past. Oh, yeah, it's a contract year, too. Nazem Kadri, <laughs> top five in scoring. It's an incredible story. I think the easiest way to finish this off, or no, let me do it differently. I'm going to put two guys at number two. Both are on the same team, Troy Terry and Sonny Milano. Both yes. are very similar in games played in their NHL careers, yet at vastly different levels of expectation and yes. future outlook. But they're doing it together. So give it up. Troy Terry's still top five in goals. He's cooled off, but 30 points, impressive season. And Sonny Milano just has finally got and earned that lease on life at the NHL level, meaning he knows he can now do it. And boy, what a fun group they are. And their social media adventures just add a little extra layer to what the future may hold there in Anaheim. Now the challenge would be how to narrow it down to one. <laughs> Holy cow. I've got guys like Tarasenko and Butchnevich and Michael Granlin and Hartman in Minnesota. And we've mentioned Marcus Foligno a million times. Um, I'm going to say, because it was a surprise at the time, Moritz Sider with the yeah. Red Wings. I, I surprised at the time because Iserman and company didn't go following everybody's draft board. And the extra time that Sider has had at both the AHL level and in Europe have put him at a level where he can hop in and he's already forget the points. Like, just watch the little nuances in his game. I know you believe this too, Marty, that he might be the best rookie in the NHL right now. Well, as of now, I think I have Zegras ahead of Cider just a little bit because uh, Trevor Zegras has been on fire in the last month, month and a half. Uh, but number two, a close number two, I have more Cider in the rookie race. Uh, for the Calder Trophy at the uh, holiday break right now. I have to say this, Duffer, because it's the holiday break and this is the holiday podcast edition of the Instigators Overtime, mm -hmm. um, who would be the best Santa around the NHL? Who do you think would be like just the best Santa? Oh, well, you know what's funny is, and it's only because it's top of mind because of their hilarious video this week, like Kevin Shattenkirk oh, would, wow. would be ridiculously funny. And I, I, I think you're going down the right path, but um, I'm looking at Alex Ovechkin because he's oh. from way up there in Russia, cold North Pole, and his commercial and his personality and the whiteness, hair and beard or whatever. I think it'd be great. And wouldn't it be like he has had such an unbelievable start to the season? That even though you can't say, well, it's a surprise that Ovechkin has got 22 goals. Well, you know what? It's a surprise that Ovechkin has two points behind McDavid and Dreisaitl and third in league scoring. He was 60th or 65th last year, and he's third this year. So 
not a surprise to see Ovi having success, but having that much success, I think he could be in that three stars. So because he's my favorite NHL player, Santa, I would put him in there as well. The irony in what you're saying is that 10 years from now, when he may truly have a Joe Thornton-esque Santa Claus-type white beard, he will still be top 30 in NHL scoring if he chooses to keep playing. Uh, he's amazing. They just put a video on NHL.com and on Twitter, and they ask Ovechkin, who is your first goal against? He goes, I know I'm Doc John Sebastian Jaguar. How many score did you how many goals did you score your rookie season? 52. Uh, he knows, like he is, he, he knows everything about himself, and he continues to push himself to the like greatest limits that he can sustain. And it's it's been amazing. You know what? We don't need to extend this much longer, but sometimes you and I can't stop talking. Yeah. What you've just said about Ovechkin and our love for him makes me appreciate a what we talked about with Seth Appert and that incredible relationship that has been cultivated between Paterka and Aaron Dell. Yeah. When you see a true love of your teammate, and I want to give a real special shout out to Nick Ehlers this week for his absolute adoration and respect for Paul Stastny. Mm -hmm. When Stastny finally got that 500th assist, like the puck was no sooner across the line and Nick Ehlers grabbed it, held it up and ran to him. And then later in the game, when Stastny scored again, Ehlers did the running man celebration to come and grab him again. Like yeah. Marty, you've lived this as a player. When you have that close a bond with a teammate, I'm at a loss for words. I truly am. Duffer, I just got the shiveries, like the, 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 the going right from my toes to my hair, because all I can think about is JP Dumont, that overtime goal against Ottawa, doing the running man, jumping in the hand, arms of, I don't even remember who. And I know it's going back 15, 14 years ago, but the closeness of the group that we had uh, in the 0506 season was just amazing. And that's, that's how it felt like. I mean, uh, Jason Pondville scores the overtime uh, game winner against Ottawa game five. And I race across the ice, right? Because they're celebrating by the penalty box across the ice. And I jump into the pile and I hit the wall and I ended up on my back on the ice. And the guys are like, Marty, what are you doing down there? Like, there's just, there was such a, a, a great friendship. Uh, that 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 was to a personal level that led us to great success. The Paterka uh, Dell story is one like that. And you pointed out Ehlers, Stastny. There's so many good ones. Ovechkin, Backstrom. There's so many good ones around the league that uh, it makes me relive these moments a little bit. And uh, it's it was so special. Stay tuned for a social media form of our holiday gift exchange, right? If I can get to the store and get something, I've, I've had a few ideas, Duffer, but I... So have I. I, I just know. haven't executed. The execution. How do you feel about your team's execution? I'm in, I'm in favor of it very much. On that note, <laughs> Merry Christmas. Happy holidays, everyone. On behalf of our entire crew, who, by the way, are the absolute most fun to work with on a daily basis, yeah. uh, have a great holiday, and we'll see you soon.